Mac Power Users, episode 542, Beta Tales. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I am joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Mr. Hackett. How are you today? I am good. This is going to be a fun one. <laughs> yes. All my devices are running a little hotter. Their batteries are burning a little faster, but I'm having so much fun. <laughs> That's good. Uh, before we get to the the beta season, because that is officially started now in, in <laughs> Apple land. In a uh, big way. Uh, we, we spoke a couple of episodes ago about the Relay FM membership program, and Mac Power Users is going to be taking part of that starting in July. So uh, what we're going to be offering, we're calling More Power Users. I'm very clever, David. That name, I had whiteboards and consultants, and we came up with it. Pretty good, right? Oh, yeah. It costs thousands of dollars yeah. to come up with that name. So so please join so I can pay all of our branding consultants. More Power Users. So. Uh, what this is going to be is if you become a Mac Power Users member, you will receive an ad-free version of the show. And at least once a month, David and I are going to be doing an extra segment covering the news. You know, one thing about Mac Power Users is we don't get to talk about the news here. And sometimes we try, but it's kind of a weird fit for our format. So we said, look, we can do it for members at least once a month. If stuff's busier, I think we'll do it more often. It's kind of talking about the news through the lens of MPU. Yes. And uh, I am super excited that we can bring some extra content. And for those of you that are, you know, trying to get through your day a little faster and you don't want to listen to the ads, there you go. There's an option for you. Yeah. So we will have in the next episode, we'll have directions of how to sign up and everything. But we kind of wanted to put that on everyone's radar. Uh, that will start in July. I'm super excited. Me too. And if you don't want to be a member, that's okay. We Absolutely. still have the show. You're going to get the ads, but you know, we got to pay the bills. Uh, the forums are still going to be there. The, you know, the newsletter, all the stuff we do for Mac power users is going to continue just as before. But if you want to help support us, we'd appreciate it. And, uh, and you get, you get some, uh, bonuses for that. Yeah. Nothing about the relay FM membership is about taking things away. It's about adding new things for members. So, yep. All right. So sign up guys. We're going to start that in July and, uh, Steve and I have some some great ideas, and I'm I'm really looking forward to to starting that kind of that era of Mac power users. Yeah, buddy. You know, I I haven't said this publicly, but I am just so thankful for how great you've been on this show. Can oh, I say that? That's nice. Yeah, I have a little journal. I write things I'm thankful for today. I was thankful for Stephen Hackett because you know we had this big transition from Katie to you, and it's just been so seamless and. You've been a, a great help with the show and all the stuff you do, man. It's great having you on board. Oh, thanks. It's it's so much fun. I can't not believe it's been a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's so much fun. And you know, I really feel super lucky to be here. So, man, it's good times. Yeah. I just got an email from someone saying, I really like the new kid. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, so WWDC and uh, beta season is upon us. Yes. Every year, I uh, I hem and haw, and I always install all the betas. 
usually we don't cover them a lot until um, the, we're closer to release. But because of this year, the changes are so significant and people are just so interested in this stuff that um, Stephen and I both kind of made a point to go a little crazy with beta installs. Mm-hmm. And we've been using them now for a week. And uh, I thought it'd be fun to report how these features are working. And, and given this is beta, so some of this stuff could change. But, you know, let's kind of dive in deep on it. I will say you've gone a little deeper than I have. So I'm I'm yeah. in the pool, right? I'm swimming in the pool. You did a cannonball from the top of your house into the deep end. Oh, Just- I did. <laughs> I did. I, I wrote a post in the Mac Power Users Forum saying, hey, Steve and I have gone a little crazy with the bait. If you got questions, let us know. And uh, what, uh, Timo wrote, crazy like install watchOS beta crazy. And uh, one of us did. Mm-hmm. I'll give you one guess. Yeah. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I had actually Rosemary uh, went in that pool first. I said, well, did your watch blow up? And she says, well, when I washed my hands at once, it crashed. But otherwise, it's been fine. I'm like, you know what? And, and also, I feel kind of cavalier this year because I'm home. You know, I'm yeah. not traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, if if my phone gets too messed up, I can always unwind the beta. I'm home. It doesn't matter that much. So I, I didn't feel that bad about it. So so let's just uh, let's list the devices, right? Um, what, what all have you got the betas installed on? So I've got the beta on a external SSD that I'm booting my MacBook Pro from. I need my MacBook right. Pro some later this year, so I'm not willing to put the beta on it directly yet. Yeah. And I'm running it on my iPad mini, although my 11-inch iPad Pro is probably going to succumb to it by the time this episode comes out. Uh, it's not on my phone, and it's definitely not on my Mac Pro. Uh, that you know, this machine is where I make my living, and it will stay on Catalina for uh, some time. But yeah, so I'm playing with it, kind of getting my, uh, like I said, getting in the pool. Uh, I've spent more time with it on the Mac, so I've got a lot of thoughts around that. But I, I want to get back to something you said a second ago. The interest in this beta cycle is way higher than it normally feels like and maybe that's because a lot of people are at home life's a little bit slower now maybe it's because like big sur in particular is a huge change having widgets on your iphone home screen is a huge change like there's a lot of things that are really attractive about these betas where in some years it's like yeah it's better but you know you can live without it for three more months some of the stuff people want to really experience now yeah agreed and um and there is kind of some themes to these betas as we go through it in the show today I started with the beta on my, just because I have two iPad Pros because I'm that guy. So I started with it on the big iPad Pro and it was running fine. And then it quickly cascaded over a couple days, you know, and I put it on the laptop. So I had Big Sur on the laptop and it on the iPad. And then uh, suddenly I had it on the second iPad. I had it on my phone. <laughs> I also put it on my iMac Pro because we have a the way the recording situation is right now in the Sparks uh, headquarters has you know there's there's four people living in 1500 square feet and uh, so my studio isn't really where I'm recording most shows where my iMac Pro is it's where I do all the edits and all that stuff but I'm not doing the recording there uh, my old studio has been turned into my daughter's bedroom but we have an extra iMac in there and that is the kind of recording machine I'm sitting at it right now. So mm-hmm. my fancy mic and everything's there. That one is not upgraded or, or running betas, but, sure. but, but the, all the other <laughs> Macs, the two Macs I own are. And then uh, a few days ago, I put it on the watch too, because I, as I told Rosemary and the automators, if it breaks, it's her fault. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, 
But it's, you know, so I, I've been running on everything. This is one thing that you may have heard in the news is these are pretty stable betas. I think partly because WWDC came later, this is more like beta two or beta three in the normal year. That being said, do as we say, not as we do. Don't don't load these if you need to get your work done, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I mean, there's still developer betas at this point. You have to have a developer account. The public beta will be in July. That's when they're more widely accessible. And usually, in the past at least, it's been two developer builds for every one public beta. So developer beta two or three will be public beta one. And there'll be a couple developer builds and then a couple more you know, public betas. So it's sort of a TikTok approach. And just because yeah. this beta is good doesn't mean the next one will be. In fact, very yeah. often they get worse before they get better. And so, yeah, do what we say. Like, let us take the pain. And, you know, if you have a spare machine like my iPad mini, you know, if it bursts into flames, I'd be sad. But it's not the end of the world. Then, uh, yeah, I think it's fine to play with on that. But definitely not a production machine. Not something you need for work because you can end up in a situation where, you know, it's always like the one app you really need, the one workflow you really depend on. That's the one that's broken for months. That'll get you. Yeah. The the thing that got me with this one was uh, Hazel worked fine. I tested it before I installed it on the second machine. But then if you're in Hazel and you go to create a rename field, it crashes Hazel every time. Mm. And I, I sent an email to the developer and I'm sure that'll get fixed, but yeah. before it releases, but it's like, so now I can't make any Hazel rules that change a name for the next several months, you know, <laughs> things like that. There's, a, there's sort of a responsibility you have running a beta where, yeah, you can provide feedback to a developer about, Hey, this isn't, this isn't working, but part of that's on you because you're running the beta. And there's really, I don't think any, any room for like being upset that an app doesn't work on an OS that isn't out yet. So I would just say, be kind yeah. to those, those developers out there. Cause they're having a busy summer too. Yeah. We go through this every year and we tell people, you know, be nice to developers, give them positive feedback. If you've got like screencasting ability, make a screencast and show them exactly what broke on the iPhone and iPad that's built in now. So it's really easy to give them really great feedback and you just tell them, Hey, I am in the beta and I saw this behavior is odd. I just wanted to make sure you knew about it and let them deal with it. What you don't say is I'm on the beta and I need you to fix this immediately because I need this to do my thing. Well, you know what? You put your thing on the beta. So you know, don't put demands on the people. Although I always feel like who actually does that, right? We talk about it every year, like all these mean people doing that. And uh, I can't believe people actually do that. And then I talk to developer friends who are like, oh, yeah, people do sure. that. Yeah. I mean, I, I was at um, WWDC last year sitting next to a developer friend, and we were at the State of the Union address, which is about three hours after the keynote mm -hmm. and like one hour after they released the beta. And he showed me an email he really received while we were sitting in the audience at the State of the Union from a user demanding that he fix a bug in the new beta wow. <laughs> it was like an hour afterwards i'm like wow sometimes people are terrible but not mac power users listeners they're the best all right so all the um caveats aside let's dig into these betas yeah let's start with big sur mac os 11 yeah, yeah. agreed uh i'm gonna say mac os 10 about a thousand times before i get that out of my head but the big thing here is we talked about this on our last episode, the design being drastically different. At that point, we hadn't used it. I've been using it for you know, quite a 
well, I don't know. In fact, the last week when I'm not at my Mac Pro recording or editing, I've been using the MacBook Pro on a Big Sur. And the design, uh, I'm really liking it. it. It does take some getting used to. There's a lot of white everywhere. I, I don't like dark mode, so I'm using in the, the standard mode. Yeah. You got to kind of get used to that. It feels a little bright at first. And I think like we said last time as well, there's definitely some legibility issues in places. But all in all, it really, two things jump out at me as far as the design. A, it still feels like Mac OS. It looks, runs, acts like Mac OS. But the design makes it feel much more in kind with its mobile cousins. I think they've done a good job striking the balance between those two things. Yeah. So let's let's just talk about, I mean, one of my things about the Mac Big Sur update is I feel like it's more paint than engine. You know, you mm-hmm. take your car in, but it's a lot of paint. And um the overall feel that I've had using it, because I've been using it on both of my machines now, and it just feels lighter in, you know, however you want to interpret that word. For instance, uh, my usual setup on the 27-inch iMac is I usually have, with Keyboard Maestro, I have these scripts that move windows between the left and the right side of the screen, and almost always I have two apps open on both sides of the screen, whereas the... um on all previous versions of Mac OS, they felt like they were integrated into the operating system. And these feel like they're floating on top of the operating system. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, I think, I think it does. It's like, cause they've got the rounded corners. And so the apps themselves kind of float separate where they, you know, they don't like block in every pixel with the dock now looking similar to the iPad dock. It just, it's very strange to me because it just feels like a completely different look and, and you get used to it. I mean, like the joke is I gave my laptop to my daughter. I'm doing some work. I'm paying her to manage some stuff for me. And, um, and I had the bait on, but I didn't tell her. And I said, Hey, did you know anything, notice anything different about that laptop? So she was working in Safari Mm -hmm. and she was working in the files app, which are like completely different. Yeah. And I said, did you notice anything different? She's like, oh, yeah. And she had to like, you could tell she was struggling to come up with something. She said, the icons are square now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, the icons are square. So it's funny. I think for some people that that even won't stand out. But it is a, it's a different feel. And I guess that's the only way to put it. And I, I've never used a Mac. If, in fact, okay, so I know old people are going to get mad at me, old <laughs> Mac people. This reminds me of the feel of the original Mac. The floating windows kind of feel like that little classic Mac did to me when I first mm. started using those back in college. Yeah, I can see that. It also uses the the rounded corners, which you mentioned, which the original Mac had, you know, up in the upper corners. And I think it all feels more friendly in a way than the current design does. Yeah. L- can we talk about some of the individual design elements because they're so different? Yeah. Let's start at the top. With the menu bar, the translucent menu bar. Now, this was really controversial years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they tried to put it, I don't know, which version of the uh, OS was Leopard. It? Okay. And like they put it in the beta, then they kind of took it out, and, and now here it is. What do you think about it? Uh, I don't love it. I'm using the default wallpaper because I like using the default wallpapers when I'm on a beta to remind me that it's a beta. And it's okay with the default wallpaper. It's like brightly colorful, but I would imagine that depending on your desktop background, it may be actually really difficult to read. And 
the translucency engine, like a lot of this translucency stuff is handled programmatically. And it seems like on the default wallpaper, it makes makes the menu bar items white, uh, like over on the right-hand side, which is really hard to read. It, It all feels too low contrast to me. And yeah, you can go into accessibility and like, turn the transparency off, but that has other trade-offs. So I would like them, I would like to see them make the menu bar more legible. Yeah. App developers are going to need to work on their menu bar icons with this. Mm -hmm. Now that we've got transparent and some don't, aren't faring well with this beta. And I'm assuming a bunch of people are probably working on it already. Um, I think by default, they need to show up as white, but some apps have hard coded them to be black yeah. And then when you have a translucent menu bar with a gray background and black menu bar icons, that is not good. Mm. You know, so <laughs> uh so I, I have switched to the um to the default wallpaper as well, which helps, but yeah, i I feel like I won't really know until we're done, you know, until this thing ships and the apps are fixed. But it doesn't bother me though as much I remember a lot of people losing their mind with it back in the leopard days and I you know, honestly I don't look at the menu bar that much it's fine yeah i'll have a link in the show notes Uh, i pulled out the wallpapers and so if you are not running the beta but you want to feel like you are you can download the the big sur wallpapers what do you think of the wallpaper for big sur i love the colored version so there's there's two the default is like this colored wave thing actually looks like an ios wallpaper and then yeah. the, the secondary one is sort of the more traditional, like California landscape photo. Uh, I like the colorful one. I think that I think the reason they're using that as the default is to show off the transparency more so than what you would see. It kind of reminds me of the old like tiger wallpaper days, you know, where they had the the blue shapes. Yeah, it's more colorful. Yeah, it's it's like blue and it's got pink and orange and yellow and white. It's it's really nice. And there's a dark mode version that's nice too. I think they're doing that to really show off what they're doing in the sidebars and everything. Yeah. And also Big Sur is surrounded by foothills and growing up in California, maybe this is just the inner artist. I mean, this reminds me of looking at foothills in California, Mm. which we have everywhere. So maybe that's the inspiration. I don't know. All right. So we talked about the menu bar. When you open apps, there's two things that really stand out. Number one is the toolbars are bigger and Area, and then you've got this sidebar now that runs top to bottom it cuts off the toolbar so mm-hmm. whereas in prior versions of mac apps the toolbar always went all the way across the top all the all the left to right pixels were given to the toolbar now all the top to bottom pixels are given to the sidebar and the toolbar bumps into that right it's a strikingly different look because it, it breaks the metaphor that the mac has had forever with the toolbar encompasses the entire top of the window but it does feel more modern it fits in better with what's going on ios and i think in practice like it it was weird to me the first day and now like if i'm in mail where it's really noticeable i don't really think about it anymore yeah agreed it's agreed it's not like it it is quite different though it's striking and i know some people are going to hate it and some people are going to love it but everybody's going to have an opinion on that Mm -hmm. The icons, we've talked about that a little bit already. As I said, that was the one thing my daughter noticed. <laughs> I, you know, I'll tell you, the icons are the one thing that really ha- I haven't got used to yet. Yeah. They added a, th- a like a depth, like a three dimensionality to them. 
and some of them work better than others. Uh, the, 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 and it's been flowing around on Twitter, but the worst one by far is the battery icon and system preferences is straight up hideous. But, you know, this may be something that they tone down a little bit over time, or we're just going to get totally used to it and, and move on with our lives. Like one of the two will happen. Uh, I'm more saddened by the loss of the different shapes. Like basically, yeah. according to the HIG, the human interface guidelines, which I have in the show notes, they are talking about consistent shapes, like round, rounded rect, front-facing perspective, consistent drop shadow, which is even different from a couple of years ago when they said, hey, we kind of have two or three different styles. And there will still be apps, third-party apps, that don't conform to this, but I think a lot of them will change over time. And, you know, cool Mac icons are like part of the platform right it's part of the personality of the mac and that's a little sad to see kind of flattened out yeah as we record this i'm looking at an old you know the the recording mac and i'm looking at like the safari and the mail icon and then i'm looking over at this big sur machine and they're just not as distinctive you know one of the one of the ways you could identify icons in the past was a shape you know like the logic is a record but it's tilted to the left and that always helped me like find it if that Mm -hmm. makes sense um and so you lose that with this i i don't think um i'm not hell-bent against it but i um i think it feels like a regression to me a bit and i'm very i'm going to be curious to see how many developers like get on board and how many are like no we're keeping our cool icon yeah yeah it's not enforced that you have to move to this it's just highly suggested yeah. The, so so in general, I guess we covered kind of the main user interface changes. Uh, what do you think overall? Overall, I like the direction. I mean, we're really, in my mind, nitpicking certain details. But I think on yeah. the whole, I like the change. I like that it feels more modern. I think it will serve Apple really well as iOS apps continue to make their march onto the Mac beaches. And so, yeah, I, I'm a fan. I give it a thumbs up. Yeah, I mean, I just in six months, there's going to be a Mac for sale that you're going to have this operating system next to iPad and iPhone apps. Yep. And I think they are going to look fine together. Me too. And I think that's one of the reasons they did this. I also like, um, and we didn't mention it, like in the menu bar items, there's more space between the mm-hmm. entries. There's there's like an airiness to this, and you know we we talked last week about why we think that airiness is there. Maybe we'll talk about it just a little bit more today. But whether or not we get touch max touchscreen max, I kind of like menu bars with a little more space between the words. I I kind of like just the the airiness of this look, and I was ready for a change. So uh, it, it definitely makes my um my Catalina Mac look old. Yeah, <laughs> you know, almost immediately it does that. Anyway, um, in terms of broken things with the beta, and this is early, so obviously there's a lot of broken things, but the things that have stood out for me is all the mail plugins don't work. That's always the case. If you rely on mail plugins, do not install a beta on your computer. Mm -hmm. I talked about the little uh, hiccups with Hazel, but in general, my apps have worked. You know, all the stuff I use for production, OmniFocus, Drafts, Microsoft Word, all that stuff has just worked for me. I haven't had any problems. The biggest one for me, and this is a difference in how you and I work, is Dropbox doesn't work on it. Yeah, which is oh, it doesn't uh, really, <laughs> which is not good for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I've been, uh, you know, using Dropbox on the web, which I, I prefer to have it installed. Just I use it enough. I'm fine with the trade offs. But again, it's 
the first couple of weeks and I'm sure Dropbox will have a beta or they'll they'll just patch it and and be on their way. So yeah, that's always that's why we say don't put this on a production machine because for me, my production with other people revolves around Dropbox and I don't have it on my laptop anymore. <laughs> well, you know what? That Dropbox fix may not be trivial because I believe they still use a kernel extension for all the stuff they do. I think they do, but the the kernel extension stuff hasn't changed between Catalina and Big Sur for Intel Macs. If I was on an okay. R Mac, it'd be different. So it should still run the way that it did. In fact, I had a couple other apps with kernel extensions, you know, throw up the permission dialogue of like, hey, can we can we do our thing? So yeah, I mean, hopefully they'll get there. The app doesn't even launch. So there's something, <laughs> there's something going on there. Yeah. Before we move on, uh, we talked about this last week, but I feel like I just have to mention it again. I'm even more convinced than I was two hours after watching the presentations last week that touchscreen Macs are coming. Yeah, boy. I agree. The more I think about it, the more I use Big Sur, the more I read into the changes that are coming with the ARM Macs, I I believe touch is coming to the Mac I, with yeah. all of my heart. Yeah, it's like, and I went back and watched um, the uh, State of the Union again, and when they were they were playing a game, an iOS game on a Mac, and they're like, "See how we can do it with a mouse," and the way that even just like the inflection, and, and now it's really you know reading tea leaves, but it just felt like they were just too clever. It's like, of course, there's a million apps we're about to put on your device that were all designed for touch. Of course, it's going to support touch. Yeah, and I think that. The insight I've had since we talked about this last is that, you know, I always thought they'll never put touch on the Mac because they'd have to re-engineer the entire operating system. And I felt like, oh, wait a second. What if you decided we don't have to have, we're going to put touch on a Mac, but we don't need touch to work on all the classic Mac apps. You know, you know, if you're going to open logic, you're going to need to use your trackpad or your mouse to really make it work right. But we're still going to have touch on there. And by the way, there's a million iOS and iPad apps that rely on touch that we're going to make available to you. It just, I feel like they've, they're, they're giving us just enough touch friendliness in the interface with the larger toolbars and the larger menu bars that we can use touch, but they're not building it as a touch operating system. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And I'm, I'm in agreement with that. All right. I'm closing the lid on my laptop. Okay. <laughs> This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password, my favorite solution for managing passwords on my Mac. You can set it up yourself. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off. Password security is something that just gets more important every day. There's so many bad guys out there trying to get your passwords, trying to get your logins, and then all of a sudden compromise your money or your privacy or all of the above. 1Password is the solution that solves that problem for you. And it's made by a bunch of really smart people that think about nothing but protecting your privacy and security. So what happens when you sign up for 1Password? You get this app that will create unique passwords for you every time you go to a new website, sign up or get a new login. And every password is different. And that solves a big problem because if you use the same password on every website, you just have to have one website get compromised and the bad guys have the keys to the kingdom on all your websites. But who can think of or generate these passwords? One password, and they can do it for you. They got this great password uh, engine that builds passwords for you. If you want them to be rememberable words separated by hyphens, you can do that. If you want them to make a 50 alphanumeric, you know, NSA digit, you know, security code, it can do that too. 
one password will make the passwords however you want, but then it'll remember them all for you. All you have to remember, as the name implies, is the one password. And you don't even have to remember that sometimes because if you're on an iOS device that has a face ID or touch ID or even one of the fancy new laptops that has touch ID, you just put your face on it or touch it and it puts the password in for you. It's super convenient. So it really gives you the ability to have both password security and convenience. Uh, I immediately got it when I first installed 1Password so many years ago when it was just a Mac app. And I totally understand their success because they are solving a problem in a way that anybody can use. They're on multiple platforms now. So they're all the Apple stuff, but they're also on Android, Windows. Uh, You can go get 1Password for pretty much any platform you want. They even have like kind of a web version. So that's pretty awesome too. So just head over to onepasswordcom slash MPU and put that MPU in all caps and you get 20% off. Now, if you've got a family, I recommend you sign up for the family plan. That's what we've done in the Sparks house. I have the family plan. Everybody in my family has one password installed. I've got a unique way of making sure my kids have password security. I put the Netflix password, uh, the HBO password, everything is behind the one password vault. So if my kids want to watch TV, they got to use password security. It's an awesome system. <laughs> Either way, go sign up for it. OnePassword.com slash MPU, all caps. Get yourself set up with OnePassword today. Thank you, OnePassword, for being a longtime sponsor of the Mac Power Users and helping all of us stay safe on the internet. So up next, let's talk about iPad OS. This is one yeah. that we've both spent some time with, and uh, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts, particularly on the pencil support stuff. Yeah, I feel like the pencil support is the unsung hero of this year's updates. I mean, it's something that very few people saw coming and the implementation just feels very Apple. They just kind of nailed it. Someone wrote in the forums, they said, well, can I make a mind node mind map with my pencil? Now, given the version of mind node I'm using was released before any of us heard of this feature, right? But I opened up my node and I just had a, an empty bubble. I started writing in it with the pencil and it filled in the bubbles for me. You can make a mind map absolutely with your pencil and my note. And it feels really, it feels really right, you know, mind mapping with the pencil. It it just seems to work everywhere. One of my favorite ways to use the iPad is what I call the daily shutdown. You know, at the end of the day, I want to um kind of wrap the day up in a way that makes sense so I can start the next day without having to finish the last day. And my goal for this is actually, I have a couch in my backyard, a little, you know, couch in the backyard, go out there with the dog, sit there with an iPad and do the daily shutdown, you know, plan my OmniFocus tasks for the next day, you know, deal with any, you know, small email issues that remain outstanding, maybe even journal the day a little bit and using an iPad with a pencil and a voice to text recognition and no keyboard. And that feels a lot more possible with this beta. Yeah, what's cool about the Pencil stuff is that it's built into Pencil Kit. So any app that is taking advantage of just the stock, I just want Apple Pencil support in my app, and they're not customizing it, they get all this stuff for free. So you get the thing where you draw a circle, it becomes a really nice circle where you can write, enter text anywhere. And the thing that I have found myself really enjoying is I have the beta on my iPad mini, the iPad mini is like a great little size for like a digital notebook. So, you know, I do these daily logs every day and I've been recently doing them, handwriting them. And the last couple of days I've been just doing them in good notes and, uh, and the Apple notes app, just like kind of comparing things. And I really like using the pencil on this little baby iPad. 
Yeah. Yeah. And all these apps are going to have full support for this when it comes out, but most of them work already. Another one that I use all the time is OmniFocus. And I can now just write down a new task in the OmniFocus new task bar and it, it turns it in. I'm also pretty amazed at how good a job it does at the recognition. Um, I do not handwrite. I gave up handwriting in like fifth grade. So that's just never been a thing for me. I remember when I took the bar exam, it's this three day test you got to take to be a lawyer. At one point it was, you know, a few years ago. So one way they would try to confirm it's use, have you do a handwriting exemplar. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the middle of this three day test. I'm totally stressed out and I have to write handwriting, which I haven't done since fifth grade. And I'm like, how do you make a cursive cue? I don't remember. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I, I print, and usually I print in block caps, but the handwriting on this is better if you print with upper and lowercase letters. You know, mm -hmm. if you print in block caps, it's going to try and make them caps. Uh, but so, you know, so my lowercase letters aren't as uh, natural to me. So sometimes they come out a little, um, a little wobbly, but it always seems to get it right. And, um, and like I said last week, I, I was really impressed with the engine. Did you try out all the tools they have, like to scratch out and insert? Have you worked with those tools? Yeah, it's fantastic. So if you're writing something and it does mistranslate it, which I found to happen not very often, it seems very intelligent. But if it does, you can, just like you would in a paper notebook or on a Newton back in the day, scribble through the word and it deletes it. Or you can tap on the word and you get the standard iOS controls for replacing like a, the spell check interface. So it treats it as text. You can even, and this is wild to me, say you're in Apple Notes or another app that supports this, you can then select handwriting just like you select text. And yeah. so it's not a drawing. It is actual text in your handwriting. I mean, it's amazing. And then if you paste it into a text app, pace as text it's it's, it's awesome like, what you know the, you know we always talk about how wwdc gives you hints at what's coming and there has been a rumor now for about six months that there is a new ipad mini coming that's going to be more like an ipad pro which would mean it has apple II pencil support mm -hmm. maybe it's a little bigger and i feel like this feature makes that product so much more interesting yeah it's like a little digital notebook you could have with you everywhere yeah it's pretty cool yeah. So, it, you know, good, good on you, Apple. Well, mm -hmm. you know, usually when it's something that comes out of Cupertino, there aren't a lot of hints that it's coming, but it feels like this is real mature. It doesn't feel like beta to me. No, my, my guess is this has been in the works for a really long time. And, and what is cool about it is that if you already have a pencil, you just get it right. So maybe you picked up a pencil for drawing or just to check it out. Well, now the hardware you already have is way more useful. That's pretty cool. Like that, that doesn't happen all the time in technology. And it's also jarring to me how available it is everywhere. You know, you want to go in Safari and write in the URL bar. You want to do a search, you just write it in. And you're not always going to want to do that. But if you're sitting on the couch with the pencil, it feels a lot more natural to just write it as opposed to, you know, pull up the keyboard and tap away. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm finding myself using it quite a bit. I think once it becomes second nature to me, I'm going to use it even more. Yeah, the the mode switching stuff, I think, just takes a little getting used to. Kind of following the theme of a lot of paint and no engine, the actual changes to fundamental Apple apps is very small. Yeah, mail did not get a share button. 
Right. It didn't even like one of the thing, one of my quibbles with mail has been um, that like I use a flagging system on iOS to kind of like flag mail for, for dealing with it. And usually I deal with it on the Mac. Honestly. We, we just did a show on that recently, but Apple mail on iOS and iPad OS does not split the flags for you. You know, it's like if I have 30 items flagged, but only a couple of them have the priority flag and some of them have a less priority flag, it's just going to put them all in one bucket. And it'll show me the colors, but it's not going to say, well, here's your priority flags. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, maybe that'll get fixed this year. It's, you know, it's been a year. Nope. <laughs> no, no, so. Not yet. Steven Sanofsky did a, a thread on Twitter. I will put a link in the show notes. And he's the guy who did hardware and software engineering at Microsoft. He had a big job there for a long time. He's kind of a well-respected guy. And it was very complimentary of Apple and just talking about how much discipline it takes in a company to pull off what they've done. I mean, when you think about it, they've turned their whole hardware system into their own silicon system on a chip. You know, this Apple silicon is going to drive their entire product line, which is going to have so many huge benefits for them company-wide. Money, better power, better price, better control, everything. And he was just kind of remarking at how hard that would be to do and um, one of the points he made in one of his specific tweets was this shows a company that's willing to sacrifice, you know, the day-to-day stuff in order for the bigger picture. And one of the specific examples he used was they don't fix things in mail, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'm thinking he must be using an iOS device because he knows that there's a bunch <laughs> of stuff waiting in mail. And, and so he kind of like, I felt like he was kind of telling me, you know, Hey Dave, it's okay if they have a sharing button. They just turn their entire platform to one, you know, silicon. Yeah. But they could have like snuck in an extra hour for flag sorting. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. It's also probably not the same people designing chips and well, you know. Anyways, I I, I got so I, I installed Airmail again. I mean, oh, I'm just oh you know, I, and then it immediately put like six folders that I didn't want. <laughs> it's like, uh, that's a tale for another day. <laughs> I want to talk about Calendar. Yeah. Another stock app that is basically the same, except there is a new date picker. So, you know, iOS forever has had the date picker that looks like the... The tumblers. Yeah, like scrolling wheels you see in a casino or something. And that's still present on the iPhone, but on the iPad, you now get a much more Mac-like date picker, which also means that Mac Catalyst apps give this new date picker. So we've complained in the past about the home app on the Mac, which is built with Mac Catalyst. They just set a date and time like using this very iPad touch interface that makes no sense with a cursor. And so this new date and time picker is going to migrate across to the, to those Catalyst apps as well. So like, yeah, not a super exciting piece of UI, like a date picker, but boy, am I glad to see it. Yeah, well, it also just kind of demonstrates thinking forward. Because the whole world is going to change in six months when there's a Mac that can run your iPhone and iPad apps on it. I mean, I don't think us nerds kind of realize how big of a deal that is. Like my wife's laptop is so old that it won't it won't take updates anymore, and the speakers have stopped working, and like it's starting to get pretty creaky. And yeah. I don't know if it's a battery swelling thing or whatever, but her she has to press on her trackpad oh, with no. superhuman strength. That's definitely a battery swelling issue. You you. You need to buy a third MacBook Air. <laughs> uh, you know, so so she's going to need a new one, but I told her, let's wait. Because I, I said, 
you know, they're going to have one hopefully by the end of the year that you can run iPhone apps. And she's like, what? I mean, that was amazing to her. That's like, she never gets excited about tech stuff like I do, but she was, she was, you know, she was like, she was already planning which apps she would have on her Mac. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's going to be a big deal when it happens. So, you, you know, getting the date picker, right. Getting all that underlying stuff done. is going to make sense. Now you're not going to see that change in existing apps until they update for the new date picker. This isn't something that just comes automatically across the board. Whereas the pencil support works pretty much everywhere right now. Yeah, it's cool. Really cool. All right. Can I give you a brief update on the files app? Yes. You use it way more than I do. So I'm, I'm, I'm sitting down. No, it's, it's, it's a little better. Okay. It's not as much better as I'd like it to be. Um, the, uh, if you search, it will search tags, which is great. If you go to pick a tag, it still doesn't have a search bar for tags. <laughs> so <laughs> I have like 400 tags. Cause I like, I have tags for categories of work. I have a tag for each client. And if I want to tag a file for a client, I still have to scroll through a list of 400 to find the right one. I still have the same problem where as I'm scrolling, if I'm too fast with the scroll swipe measure and it becomes a touch, I just tagged the file with something, but the wheel just kept spinning. So I don't know what I tagged it with. I mean, all those problems are still there. I feel like the long, uh, wait for better tagging is still not there on iOS. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Well, um, stability overall what do you think it's pretty good uh i haven't had any apps that do anything silly like crash at launch but again it's just on my ipad so it's a it's a subset of the apps that i use on my phone seems pretty solid yeah same thing all the apps that i do my work on have worked i haven't had anything crash i haven't had any strange resets and i'm still just marveling at this pencil support it's like i'm finding new uses for it every day and um Overall, good. And then we got the stuff on the iPhone. We're going to talk about that separately. But, you know, the you know the widgets on the home screen and, and stuff like that is cool, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about last week. I do wish that the widgets would be in more places than just the left side. I wish you could move them around. Agreed. And I am not super. I mean, it could change in the beta, but um, I want them to, but I'm not positive they will. I think they may be locked over there to that side for a while. And once third-party app developers start making their own widgets, it's going to be super tempting to want more on the screen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see if they get freed from that left-hand column. I think, honestly, the widgets make more sense on the iPad to be anywhere you want them to be. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and the iPad also doesn't have the app library thing that's on the phone, and I think that makes more sense on the phone than the iPad, but I like it that to be an option on the iPad as well for those of us who want it. Yeah, I agree. But everything seems to be working. I mean, like I said, this is, um, you know, on the theme of paint and no engine, I don't think there's a lot of fundamental underlying changes here, except of course the pencil thing, which seems to be rock solid. So it it just seems to be running real clean as a beta and I'm, I'm happy with it. Me too. This episode of Mac power users is brought to you by our friends at cotton bureau. Go to cottonbureau.com right now and use the code MPU10 for 10% off anything on their store, which is super cool because the Cotton Bureau store is awesome. They make awesome graphic tees, hoodies, hats. I mean, look, I've got my challenge coins right here. 
You can hear that uh, all through Cotton Bureau. I've used it on both sides of things, both as someone making things and as honestly someone who buys way too many podcast t-shirts. And I always go to them because their quality is excellent. The shirts are comfortable. They age well. The printing is really nice. Honestly, like 70% of my closet is just podcast t-shirts, nerdy t-shirts from Cotton Bureau. They've worked with tons of great communities like Six Colors, The Incomparable, ATP, Max Stories, MKBHD, and of course, our very own Relay FM and Mac Power users. Cotton Bureau is a great place to buy and sell t-shirts of all kinds, not just podcasts, not just nerdy stuff. They have themes around sports, pop culture, gaming, food, and so much more. Their sweatshirts and tees are high quality and comfortable, and they have excellent customer service, really unmatched in this industry. So head on over to cottonbureau.com, use the code MPU10 for 10% off. That code is only valid till July 3rd. So head on over to cottonbureau.com and the code MPU10 for 10% off. I, I named my dog after an obscure Star Wars character and nobody knows who she is. So I got a Cotton Bureau shirt with her on it. <laughs> That's and awesome. now when I walk the dog, I wear the shirt. They're like, who's this Ahsoka? I'm like, I point my shirt. It's this, this lady right here on my shirt. That's awesome. Yeah. So cottonbureau.com, code MPU10 until July 3rd for 10% off. Our thanks to Cotton Bureau for their support of this show and Relay FM. Well, my desk has now lost the iPad and now there's an iPhone on it. Where are you putting them? You're just like throwing them on the floor? Well, I'm I'm in the my daughter's room in Studio B of Sparks headquarters. Yeah. So the, I'm just throwing them on her bed. So <laughs> I've got I've got like it's like a magician. I've got different devices coming out. That you did not load it on your phone, right? I have not. So I want to hear how it's gone for you. You you will. You will, my wow. friend. Am I going to do it like yeah. as we you should just do it right now. It may be done by the time the show's over. Yeah, Stephen, just, just load it, Stephen. It's okay. Such a bad influence. You're home. What are you going to do? If it goes bad, you can reinstall it. Anyway, uh, yeah, so iOS 14. Let's start with the widgets. Okay. Because, uh, I mean, it's it's the most distinct thing. It's My daughter, uh, I put the iOS 7 beta on her phone years ago, and that cured her of any desire for betas ever again. Yeah. Have I told have I told you my story about that? No. iOS 7, I've told it somewhere, so forgive me if you've heard it, but iOS 7 was the first WBC I ever went to. It's 2013. And Mike Hurley had bought an iPod Touch to put the beta on. But I didn't do that. I was like, well, I got my phone here. I'll just put iOS 7 on my phone while I'm in California. And the phone didn't make it through my first flight home before it had died. It was like losing yeah. more, like a percentage of battery a minute or something. Yeah. <laughs> really rough. And, you know, so I got home and, you know, put it in DFU mode and put iOS 6 back on it. It didn't run the beta again. But, you know, again, that's the price you pay sometimes for early betas. So, uh, but I've, I've run it since I've run beta since then. Normally, so normally what I do is sometime the end of July, or early August. Usually what I do is I'll have my phone and my Mac on the developer builds and I put my phone on the public beta. And that may be what I follow this year, but I don't know. Sell it to me. Talk me into this. No, it's just, it's just really fun. And, um, the, uh, I just wanted to play at the widgets and I knew we were going to record this show. And I felt like somebody had to take it for the team. Yeah. So I put it on. It's for your work. So the widgets, uh, they're really cool. And it makes a lot of sense. So normally you have what tradition is called the today view screen. 
to the left side of your screen. And now it's going to be these widgets and you can, to access them or create them, you just put your phone into jiggle mode, you know, the edit home screen mode. And mm-hmm. then if you go over there, there's a plus button. You can add widgets. Apple's got a bunch of built-in ones ranging from shortcuts to, you know, calendars, the photos, and just a bunch of different ones they've built. It makes all the old school widgets look a little odd. They still work sort of, uh, but I think developers are going to have to kind of really rebuild their widgets to fit into this new look. Yeah. I've got some, I got some info on that if we want to get into it. Yeah. So the, the new widget style is a totally new system. They're built in Swift UI and these new widgets are no longer interactive. So say the timery shortcut or the timery widget before you could start and stop timers from it. Now in this new system, all that would do is launch timery. The only exception to that is shortcuts. You can have the shortcuts widget still fire shortcuts. So that's still interactive, but these new widgets, you just have them and they open the app. So they're more about display as opposed to interaction. I think that's something that may change next year or the year after. So, yeah, they look nicer and I think they look great, but they are not maybe as useful if you really did a lot of interaction with your widgets before. Yeah, so that's a regression in the sense that you can't run the app from the widget, but it's progress in the sense that it's dynamic display on your home screen. So like the photos change as you put on your home screen, the calendar, it shows your calendar for the day. But even then, if you watch the session on this, the big challenge was we don't want your app killing the battery to keep a widget updated on the screen. So they, that's one of the reasons why it has to be Swift UI and it has limited resources to go pull new information. Right. So as an example, uh, we normally record Mac Powers at 11 a.m. Today we delayed it by 30 minutes And so I moved it on the calendar on my Mac. And then I looked down at my phone like 20 minutes later, and it still showed on my widget on my home screen as 11 o'clock. It still showed it it hadn't updated yet. And then at some point, you know, in the next 10 minutes, it updated itself. Mm -hmm. So you're not getting like immediate updates of dynamic information, but you are getting updates. And the calendar is where I think it affects you the most. You know, if you're relying on that and things are changing, you may not have up-to-date information. All that being said, it sure is nice looking at my home screen and having my calendar laid out for me for the rest of the day. I thought it, I, I shared my home screen. I'll put it in the show notes. I was going to have Steven share his too, but I forgot that you haven't put your yeah. phone on the beta. <laughs> but why don't you share done. your iPad uh, okay. widgets, you know, and yeah. if you put your phone on between now and the time of release, I'm just saying okay. you, know, you could put it in there. <laughs> it's interesting that they've made this change of the widgets. Behind the scenes, they actually work like Apple Watch complications where the app like sends a silent notification to the widget and you know maybe the calendar one just needs to send it more often or is not doing something in the background. But yeah. I expect that the especially the system ones will run much smoother the further this beta goes. Yeah, I, I expect that it's probably a beta thing that in the future it may not update immediately, but I won't have to wait 20 minutes. They're stackable too. That's something that wasn't really clear from the keynote, but once you start playing with it and you can just set stacks of them. So the very top quadrant of my computer has a stackable widget. So it's in icon parlance, it's four across by two down. It's taking that much space. And I've got my calendar. I've got battery status. I've got um, 
well, let me just swipe through. Oh, I've got a screen with four um, shortcuts and they're the four like launching shortcuts. With shortcuts, we talk about this on automators all the time, but you can make like a choose from menu shortcut. So it's like a shortcut to to rule all shortcuts. So yeah. I've got basically four of those so I can launch any shortcut from my home screen and um, my health data and podcasts and uh, music. So I can just kind of swipe through those and pick what I want, but I've also got it turned on to give me what it thinks I want during the period of the day. And I've only been using it a few days, but it seems to be doing pretty good in general. It, it leans towards calendar through the day, but since I'm a block scheduler, there's a lot of events on my calendar and the evening, it seems to lean towards photos, which is kind of fun to look at at night and see a picture of your kids or something. So Overall, it's been pretty good. And I didn't finish earlier. When you're building these things on basically the today, today view screen, you just drag it to the right and it goes onto your home screen and you can move things around and it, you can put them anywhere on the home screen. You can put them on the bottom or the top. It's it's not like traditional icon app icons where they just by default go to the top left corner and start filling in. Um, obviously, it gives you less room for app icons on your home screen. So you have to kind of weigh that. Uh, but overall, uh, once again, the widgets have been pretty stable. I haven't had a lot of problem. Uh, I have noticed the loss of functionality. Some of the you know traditional today view widgets like the OmniFocus one and some others I would use, you could actually perform acts in them and now you can't. I, I was hoping for a little more flexibility in terms of the way the widgets and the app icons sort of worked with each other. It still basically flows down from the top. So it's not like Android where you can basically put them wherever you want. But at the same time, Apple's done a pretty good job of having multiple sizes and layouts for all of their own. And I would expect third parties will follow that as well. Yeah. I mean, but for instance, I have, um, I have two on my home screen and the one is across the top and the second one is to the right. So there are icons to the left of it. You'll see it in the show notes, but so you can kind of have fun with it, but. It, it also feels to me like about how far Apple would go with home screen widgets. You know, mm-hmm. it's not going to go crazy. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out is uh, an accessibility feature, actually. And it has just really, really just captured, <laughs> captured my attention where uh, iOS can be used to listen to things around you. And you could turn them on and off. Uh, you know, some of the examples are a siren an animal sound, a car horn, a doorbell, water running, baby crying. And if your phone thinks that it hears those things, it will send you a notification. And, you know, I've got family members with, you know, pretty severe hearing loss and, you know, some other people I know, and it is sort of a dangerous world for some people. And this, I I like the idea of the iPhone, which is probably going to be with you most of the time anyways, uh, listening out for these things and being useful and cluing you into the things around you. Yeah. Apple just continues to crush it with accessibility. A- another accessibility feature that has captured me. In fact, I made a video about it. We'll put it in the show notes is back tap. So they've added an accessibility trigger. You know, there's always been several of them. It used to be like if you triple tap the home button, but there's no home button anymore, but now they made it that if you just tap the back of your phone, two times or three times that can be an accessibility trigger. So like if you want to turn on any accessibility feature, you can double tap or triple tap and it works. But even cooler for nerds like me is you can also use that to trigger a shortcut. And 
you know, so like you could say when I show up to work, double tap the back of my phone and, you know, maybe it displays a certain calendar and changes the playlist and, you know, does whatever you want to do with shortcuts. But I got thinking, well, what if, you know, let's make this even simpler. I made a shortcut. It's a one-step shortcut that just says launch camera app. And so now if I double and I use that, the trigger of two taps on my phone to run the shortcut to launch the camera app. So if I just tap my phone two times, the camera app launches. And then I made another one is toggle the flashlight. So if I tap my phone three times, it toggles the flashlight. So if you get up at night to go to the bathroom, triple tap your phone and the flashlight turns on. When you get back to bed, triple tap it again, the flashlight turns off. It's kind of cool, but if there's any app in your life that you launch frequently and you'd like to make it a double tap launch, once you get this installed on your phone, it's it's really easy. I did a, like I did in the screencast, I showed how you build it. It's, it is the world's simplest shortcut. It's a one-step shortcut. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. The flashlight is what I thought of immediately when I saw this feature. So I'm glad to know that it's easy to set up. Yeah, the Harry Potter Lumos feature. Um, <laughs> but, but the trick there is toggle flashlight. You know, by default, when you set up the shortcut with a flashlight, it wants it you to turn it on or turn it off. But if you tap on that in shortcuts, you can actually, there's a setting for toggle because you want to be able to turn it off the same way. Right. But that's really, you know, that's kind of getting in the weeds a little bit. Uh, We haven't even talked about this new system for app organization on the home screen. And that is a little, it's cool, you know? So, you know, as they showed in the keynote, we all have a lot of apps and Craig was right. Once you get past the second or third screen, it doesn't make any difference, right? You just, it's just madness. Sure. Um, so they've got this app library and it auto creates the app library. The way you get it is you just keep scrolling to the right till you get to your last page and you see the app library it's built by default and the, um, the categories make sense. The way they display the apps is great. So in each cube, it's like a four icon cube. They've got the three primary apps and I, I guess they're picking those by the amount that you use them and taking, you know, the, the two upper slots and the lower left spot. And then the lower right spot has four even smaller icons for the next four apps you use in that category. And there's a search field at the top. So if you don't know where it landed, you can just quickly search for it. Exactly. And uh, what I, uh, so the way I installed it was I actually went through and there's no way to do this except one app at a time, unfortunately. But when you're like editing your home screen, you have the ability to add an app to library and basically remove it from a screen. So okay. it's just in the library. And I removed all of the apps to the library except enough to fill what's left of my home screen after I put the widgets on and one additional screen. And I was able to get by. I mean, the apps I really, really want to have quick access to fit within those two screens and everything else is in the app library. And I feel like my home screen is so much better organized now. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm I've got three pages. The last one is all folders and most of those folders are multiple pages deep. And I would love to be able to kind of stop thinking about that. Yeah. I I think this is fine. I mean, the only problem would be, I guess if there was an app that you didn't remember the name of, so you can search it, but with the given categories, it's easy enough to find them. Mm -hmm. Now, can you make your own categories or is it all automated by the metadata on the apps? I am tapping wildly as we speak, and I don't see any way to create my own category. Okay. I guess that makes sense because they want you not to worry about it. I was just thinking, like, could I just stash all my folders I have now in there? But that makes sense. Yeah. You kind of got to let go and let it take control, I guess. 
you know, categories like recently added. So if you've got apps you've downloaded and I, I've got it set. So it saves new apps to app library without putting them on my home screen. So oh, nice. Looking to recently added social productivity, entertainment, creativity, reference, utilities, test flight. Cause I've got a bunch of beta apps, lifestyle, health and fitness, education, games, Apple arcade and games are two separate ones. So if you're in Apple arcade, you get those separately and other. So it's easy enough. Oh, and then I forgot to mention, if you scroll all the way down, it gives you just a listing of all your apps in alphabetical order. So you could scroll through the entire list, which in my case would take quite a while. I have too many apps. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. So that, I think that's a nice take. It's, um, I mean, I guess it's enough. I don't know. I, I think this is a, a good step and let's just see how it goes. I don't how is app management as big of a problem for most people as it is for the nerds of us that download so many apps. You know, I don't, I, I don't know. You hear stats, you know, about the average number of apps a person downloads in a month, I think is less than one, but also I think people just let their phones fill up and they don't worry about it. Like, I mean, I've got f- close family members who still have like flashlight apps and no matter how many times I tell them you can just do it from control center. They're like, Oh, well, I got this app that does this. Like, Oh, well, maybe people don't clean off their phones. Yeah, I need to get my um, my wife's phone and do some testing of Siri side by side just to see. It feels, dictation feels better to me. I mean, we talked, I did a live test last week and I've continued to use um, Siri dictation. I've turned off uh, uh, voice control or, you know, just temporarily and just trying to use Siri dictation, you know, the microphone icon on your keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels better and I, I need to run some tests on it. And I just haven't had time yet to see if the timer has increased and, and some other things. But I, I do think that they're making progress here. I don't know that they're necessarily equal to Google or dragon at this point, but it does feel like they're putting some, um, wood behind the arrow on that problem. Did I get that? Is that the right saying wood behind the arrow? I don't think I got that right. It sounds right. Yeah. Let's go All with right. it. I'm sure several people will tell me if I got it wrong. <laughs> this episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Go to SaneBox.com MPU, get a nice, sweet discount on your SaneBox account, and bring sanity to your email problem. Now, if you listen to the show, you know that I have a, I don't know, would you call it a troubled relationship with email? I can't seem to get it right. It's really hard. I can't get the right apps. I'll tell you one thing that never changes for me is my use of the SaneBox service. So SaneBox is a service that looks at your emails that's coming in now. It's not creepy, not reading your actual email contents. It's reading who the email comes from and what the subject line is. And it keeps track of how fast you reply to them. And using that data, it's able very quickly to figure out the email that's important to you and the email that's not so important to you. So SaneBox auto filters your email. So when you wake up in the morning, you look at your email, your inbox is only going to have five items. And then maybe a hundred items are stuck into later folders that SaneBox sorts for you. It's like having your own little SaneBox, uh, your own little email robot. The robot's always at work, always watching, making sure your email gets sorted for you. So you only get what's most important to you when you need it. And that's not all. It does a whole bunch of other features. Like you can use the same later service. I think this is my favorite feature of SaneBox is when I send an email to someone, I blind copy it to a increment of time at SaneBox.com. I just sent an email off to a client today and it was blind copied to two days at SaneBox.com. So if they don't reply to me in two days, I'll get a little reminder and it'll say, hey, 
this person didn't reply to you. You need to follow up on that. Now, I used to do that by creating tasks and doing all this extra work. Now I just do that little uh, blind copy field and it takes care of that problem for me and I'm on top of my email game. And the best part is because SaneBox as a service, it works with whatever email app you're using. Gmail, IMAP, doesn't matter. They got it covered. It's just a great way to add a whole set of tools to your, e to your email tool belt. So head over to samebox.com. Like I said, samebox.com slash MPU. They give a $25 credit. I asked them, I said, I want the best possible deal for Mac Power users because Mac Power users listeners are like their favorite listeners. Our show gets a massive amount of conversion. When our listeners try it, they're like, oh yeah, this is it. And they sign up for it. So they love you guys. They're giving you the $25 discount. So go ahead. Once again, samebox.com slash MPU. You can get a free 14 day trial so you can see how it works for you. Pricing plans start as low as $4 a month. Check it out samebox.com slash mpu and thank you samebox for all your support of the mac power users so up next is watch os which i definitely have not installed uh wait, wait i gotta throw my phone under the bed okay, okay. all right i threw my phone okay now i'm down to one thing it's on my wrist just, just the watch yeah just the watch all right uh it's great you know i it's the most stable watch beta i've ever had you know, I usually install watch betas toward the end and they're still kind of creaky. Uh, after two days of use, I've had no uh, unexpected crashes. It's uh, it's working fine. It does all the usual watch things. I've been doing sleep tracking. In fact, let's start with sleep tracking. Okay. You know, there's been a bunch of apps that do this. Now Apple's doing it. They built it into the watch. You know, Apple did it in their Apple-y way. You know, there's not a ton of data, but it is really clean the way it collects data on you. I really like the sleep watch face because I used to do this crazy thing where I'd go to bed. I had a, a specific face that I had chosen. It was a very light blue face that I could read at night without, you know, like lighting up the room, but then I'd have to put my watch into theater mode. So mm -hmm. when I tossed and turned, it didn't light up the room for my wife. And so now all that stuff is just taken care of for me. You know, I put in my, Tell I've told the app, the health app, I want to get eight hours of sleep at night and I need to wake up at six. So what do I need to do? And now it's starting to like nudge me towards bed. So I get to bed on a good time and, and it puts the watch into that face automatically when it's bedtime. I don't have to manually do anything. I could even add shortcuts. So if I wanted to add like a, um, like, like, um, was that dark noise that app that, uh, that yeah. you know, you know, so I could have a play storm for 30 minutes. If I want through my home pod, my room, I could, I, you know, I can get really fancy with this, change the lighting, whatever. And all of this is just happening in the background, but the face they give you at night is great. And you have to tap it to see it in the middle of the night. I, I think it's, it's great. It seems really well thought through and it's not as yeah. full featured as some of those third party apps. In fact, we're going to talk about that on our next episode. But it is enough to cover most people. And I think uh, even little features like the when the watch is fully charged, it'll send you a push notification on your phone. Like they're building in those things to make sleep tracking with a single watch a little easier, right? Because you've got to charge it at some point during the day and you, you don't want it off your wrist too long. So they're trying to make this as easy as possible given, given the current constraints of the watch. Yeah, so... I guess one other point I wanted to make about it is that the um, waking up with a vibration on your wrist is a really great alarm. You know, it, it's not jarring and it doesn't wake up the person next to you. I, I've been using a watch during sleep for a while and I've always used, 
even though there's a lot of great alarm apps and they make great sounds, I've always used the built-in watch alarm because I did want that tap mm-hmm. so it wouldn't wake up my wife. But now that's built into it. So that's just one additional point I wanted to make. Um, getting back to the um, the data collection, it seems good enough for me. Like I had a fitful sleep last night. Don't need to explain why, but I did. And uh, it was like five hours and 42 minutes. I'm looking at my watch this morning. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. And, and it's just collecting that in the background. We also got a new Chronograph uh, Pro. We got some new faces. Uh, the Chronograph Pro is an update to the existing Chronograph face. Uh, the old Chronograph face is the watch face that I have never used. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just too dense. The, infra- the buttons are way too small for 50-year-old eyes to actually read. Um, I really like the look of the new one. I'm not sure that I'll ever use it. Um, one of the things they did that I didn't realize is it's got, you can change the colors on it and the outer rim has these muted colors. So if I'm wearing olive clothes that day, I can put on the olive face. It looks kind of cool, but I'm not sure I'm going to ever really use it. <laughs> yeah. I've used the California watch face since it came out and I've got it customized enough that it, that it works for me. So I'd still want more from watch faces. I still would like to see third-party watch faces, but little by little, Apple's making it more flexible. Yeah, I change through watch faces a lot. Um, The California face is the one I probably use the most, but uh, I also really like the Infograph modular. And one of the things we got with this release is the ability to add shortcuts to your widgets or your um, complications. So put a pin in that. I want to come back and talk about that. But just while we're on the subject of faces, I also really like the utility face, you know, the old starter. And I think this is better. I need to look at another watch, but I think this actually got a little better with this release. Like it now wraps the words across the bottom and the icons seem to fit a little better. You want to talk about shortcuts though on the Apple watch? Yeah. So this is a new thing. So you can now have your shortcuts available to you when your phone's not here. But I was disappointed to see your note that all shortcuts are sent to the watch by default. This is kind of like the shortcut widget that we have now. It's like every time I make a shortcut, I don't need it in the widget. Like I can put it there if I need it, but oh well. Yeah, so Rose and I, if you're interested in shortcuts, Rosemary Orchard and I did a whole one-hour show on uh, these betas and automation. And the episode of Automators is going to release just a few days after this one. So go check out Automators and uh, you get a whole hour on it. But the short version, on the Shortcuts app, there is now a button on every shortcut that says Add to Watch. And somebody at Apple had the choice to say, let's make the default that that is turned off or make the default that that is turned on. (laughs) And that person chose to say the default is that it is turned on. And let's say you're someone like me who has hypothetically like 400 shortcuts. And I just now have a list of 400 shortcuts on my watch, you know, and I really want four, you know, just like on the phone home screen, I want to get to those kind of menu bar shortcuts that get me to the shortcuts I want, or even less than that on the phone. Maybe there's just like, I want to turn off the lights and there's just a couple that I really need here. I have to go through and uncheck like 400 shortcuts to mm-hmm. do this. That's no Man, I'm not I'm not doing it in, in beta one because I have this sinking feeling that if I do it in beta one, I'll get to like beta three and they'll all be checked again. You know, so I don't I'm not a fan of that. Um, there's just not a good way to solve that problem. Hmm. 
on short shortcuts as well, when we're talking about putting the shortcuts on the widget, uh, the trick there is you can now add folders to shortcuts. So you just create a folder called widget, and that way you just display the ones that you put into the widget folder. Anyway, yeah, so shortcuts is cool, but it's unusable to me until I can get this problem sorted out. And once I get it sorted out, I think I'm going to have like one to, to manage my studio lighting and one to for the going to bed routine. And, you know, I'm just going to have... I'm not going to have all my shortcuts on my wrist, but there'll be a couple that I would really like to have on my wrist. Yeah, I think there's going to be a few that really are beneficial there. Most of them aren't applicable <laughs> at all on the yeah. watch, but there will be a few that I think are useful for everybody. Uh, editing the watch faces, the user interface has changed. It's just a little easier to understand now. And there's buttons. And like when you're selecting through colors, it gives you a scrolling list of the colors with tiny dots down the right side of the screen. So if you're looking for beige, you know how far away from it you are. I think in general, those are all big improvements. Uh, running multiple widgets. I haven't done much of it yet because it's brand new in the beta. But mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, so that's where one app could set multiple complications on the watch face right now it's one app, one complication. Yeah. I sent an email to David Smith saying, I'm one of the crazy ones. I can test your apps. So that's, that's right. You know, something I felt kind of, you know, I was just looking through all the watch faces, the extra large watch face now has a single complication under it. And it's kind of cool looking. Like if you could, if you just really wanted the time and like the weather or the time and whatever single complication, it, it's a lot better better looking face now yeah i think it is also picking complications is better like it'll show you it shows them by app but then it has can have multiple complications under the app so like the calendar one can say show me the date the week and the day of the week and the month or show me my next appointment you know so it it's just making things more user-friendly this is all kind of leading up to what i would assume is going to be an avalanche of apps with multiple complications in the next few months uh, so they're ready for that. But something that made me a little sad looking through all my watch faces was the Siri face. Remember when that was such a big deal? And it feels to me like it's been kind of abandoned. It does. I still believe in you, Siri face. Come on, Apple. About every six months, I, I think I'm going to try to use this again. And it just never sticks. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, um, the the big news is I think... And once again, we're telling you not to install this stuff, but I have really gone in cannonball deep end and nothing's blown up and my work is largely still getting done. No, that's, that's great to hear. I mean, there've definitely been years where that's not possible and I hope that it holds up for you as, as it goes on because (laughs) I'm not, I'm not diving all the way in yet, but you know, it's there if you want to. And like I said, if you have a device that's not critical to your workflow, it's fun to play with new stuff. Steven, all the listeners right now are thinking, man, Steven is great, but I wish he'd just commit for the audience and just install the oh, iPhone. Yeah. Or they're thinking one of our podcast hosts has gone wild with this stuff. And the other one is being responsible. I'll no, I think that. it's the first. I think it's the first. I think they need you to commit right now to just install the iPhone beta. We'll see. (laughs) All right. Well, either way, we are the Mac Power Users. We will hear next week what happened with Steven and his iPhone. Mm. Okay. By the way, have you noticed, Steven, that I've been sending you a lot more uh, memojis? 
Oh, yeah, it's endless. It's a parade of them. I realized last week I've been letting you down, and I need to be the Memoji person in your life. Oh, so, I, And now I can send them from my Mac, so it's even easier. Great. All right. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see what happens next week. Gang, if you want to become a member, we'd really appreciate it. Get that ad-free version starting in July. To sign up, we didn't say that earlier, just go to the website, relay.fm slash MPU. There's a big button right there. You can sign up yearly or monthly. And thank you to our sponsors, 1Password, Cotton Bureau, and Samebox. We are the Mac Power users. Find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Find the forums at talk.macpowerusers.com. And we will see you next week.